Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me as usual is the woman you might think is a good idea to give a lift, but you might be sorry. It's Lydia. <laughs> I, I got nothing. Usually I want to be the one driving, so yeah. Yeah, I might steal your car and your identity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, we'll do a remake with a role reversal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, no, that's like real predatory. I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that. <laughs> it's interesting this way. It's uh, creepy if you switch it around. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in and remind everybody that they can listen and subscribe to this show via pretty much any place you uh, like to listen to your podcast. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can go to podchaser.com. And like I said, any, anywhere where you choose to download your podcast, we will be there. If you do listen and you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show at whatever outlet you choose. If you are a Facebook user, there's a Facebook group that you can join. And this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next, uh, except for those moments when I forget to actually mention it and <laughs> only do so a few days prior to us recording. This is also an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the podcast. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. With that, let's listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we'll see if we can get to the end of the show as we take 1945's Detour. Another five-minute mystery. Black night, ain't it, Foley? Yeah. A lot better riding around this squad car than pounding the beat. Yeah, I guess it is. I remember when you and I first joined the force back in... Hey, Sullivan. What? Look there ahead. Somebody's running toward our car waving like mad. Slow down, Foley. Let's see what he's in such a hurry about. Officer! Officer! I'm so glad you happened along. Right down there. Just one more block. My fiancée. She just committed suicide. Now, how'd this all happen? Well, I'm Leon Jones, and this is... Was, I mean, my fiancé, Sally Lawrence. I just bought the ring today. Bought the ring today, eh? That's right. Here it is, even in the original box. Okay, go on. Well, tonight we took a walk after I'd given her the ring. We stopped here about the middle of the bridge and stood looking down into the water. Then what? Well, all of a sudden, Sally said she wasn't going to marry me. That she was just tired of living. She... She took off the ring I'd just given her and handed it back to me. 
I asked her what was the matter, what had happened. Had she ever seen down at the mouth before this? Once in a while, nothing serious. By the way, Mr. Jones, when did you put that ring back in the case? Why, I don't know. I'm afraid I have sort of an orderly type of mind. Why? Nothing, nothing at all. When you asked her what had happened, did she tell you? No, she didn't. She just turned around and started fumbling in her purse. I thought she was getting her handkerchief, but then... Then I saw the glint of light on a small bottle as she lifted it to her lips. And she collapsed, just as though she'd been hit by lightning. It was all done so fast. I called to her, kept speaking her name, but it was too late. Let's step over and examine the body a little closer. Ah, Sullivan, it's an open and shut case of suicide by poison. Well, maybe, maybe. Yes, there's the bottle, all right, just where it fell. It's empty, too. Now, now, pull out the cork. See what this smells like. Hmm. Take a whiff, Foley. Stuff knocks you out the minute it hits your tongue. Hey. Jones said she fell over just like she'd been hit by lightning. Wait, wait a minute, Foley. That's it. This isn't suicide. This is murder. Murder by Mr. Leon Jones. So Leon Jones is a murderer. Do you know the clue that points him out? We'll hear in a moment, but first... What the hell is this, the wonderful Billy Flynn? Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky, Podcasting's Rich Sigfrid. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. Hi, I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey, hey man, that, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. Geek Radio Daily. All the geek without the weight. GeekRadioDaily.com and now, let's hear the solution from Police Lieutenant Sullivan. Miss Lawrence apparently refused to marry you tonight, Mr. Jones. Refused to even take the ring, is my guess. And you decided to murder her. You stated that Miss Lawrence collapsed immediately after she drank the contents of the bottle. After finding what the bottle contained, we know this is true. But tell me, Mr. Jones, if your fiancé dropped dead immediately after she drank from the bottle, then why is it I had to remove the cork before I could smell what was in the bottle? No one drinking the contents of this bottle could possibly have had time to cork it before death struck. A neat little trick, Mr. Jones, but your mind was just a little too methodical to be really clever. Come along, we've got a little trek down to headquarters. is a film noir directed by Edgar J. Ulmer for Producers Releasing Corporation and stars Tom Neal and Ann Savage. It was adapted by Martin Goldsmith from Goldsmith's 1939 novel of the same name. The film was shot in four six-day weeks with additional four days of location work in the deserts of Lancaster, California. Being a low-budget movie, director Ulmer 
put storytelling above continuity. And you'll notice a few times in the film, he flipped the negative for some of the hitchhiking scenes of Al Roberts on his trip from New York to Los Angeles, making the vehicles travel from left to right on the screen. But this also made the cars appear to be right-hand drive and on the wrong side of the road. Speaking of cars, the car driven in the film, a 1941 Lincoln Continental convertible, was actually Edgar Ulmer's actual car. Cost saving <laughs> for him there. You don't have, don't have to pay or rent anything. Mm-hmm. And it was a sweet car. I don't know if I've ever seen a 1941 Lincoln Continental before, but that was a nice looking <laughs> yeah, convertible. I don't, I don't think there are a lot of around anymore. Edgar Ulmer was a fairly prolific B-movie director, working for Poverty Row Studios with tiny budgets and with unpromising scripts and actors. Ulmer described himself as the Frank Capra of Producers Releasing Corporation. Detour won considerable acclaim as a prime example of low-budget film noir, and it was selected by the Library of Congress among the first group of 100 American films worthy of special preservation efforts in 1992. Which is uh, something we've we've covered a few films that have actually been pulled up uh, and saved by the Library of Congress, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. It's starting to see that a little bit more and more. Now, this is something I don't think we've ever done before. This will be the first time we've discussed a movie with the same star back-to-back. <laughs> After seeing Anne Savage as an afterthought in Midnight Manhunt, we wanted to see if we could find something that gave her something more to do. Anne Savage, I don't know how much I re- talked about her at in the last episode. She was born Bernice Maxine Lyon in 1921 and appeared in more than 20 B-movies between 43 and 46, effectively leaving the film business in the mid-50s. Savage made occasional appearances on television and worked for industrial and inspirational film producers from the 50s to the 70s, and she made a number of live appearances at film festivals, especially for screenings of Detour. Tom Neal was an actor and successful amateur boxer, but he's best known for his role in Detour, for having a widely publicized affair with actress Barbara Payton, and for later being convicted and imprisoned for manslaughter. (laughs) It's not funny. (laughs) It's shocking. (laughs) No, no, it is. For a few reasons. By the 1960s, after a very up-and-down career in film, along with multiple scandals, Neil left acting and became a gardener, eventually owning his own landscaping business. In 1961, he married a receptionist, Gail Bennett. In April of 65, the police were called to their home where they discovered Bennett's body with a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Neil, who was not home at the time of this grisly discovery, became the immediate suspect. He eventually surrendered himself a couple of days later. At his trial, Neil said that her death was accidental. He testified that the two began fighting after he accused Bennett of sleeping with other men. He claimed that Bennett pulled out a gun, held it to his head, and the two began to struggle. And during the struggle, the gun accidentally discharged, killing Bennett. A jury convicted Neal of involuntary manslaughter, and he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in prison, of which he served 6. After his release, he returned to working as a landscaper and gardener. Yeah, I was a little shocked, too, when I read a little <laughs> factoid. It's just not anything you expect to find. And, and not of him. I, I took the time to look into another movie of his, actually, interestingly, directed by the same director as well, just a short 60-minute movie 
um, called Club Havana. And uh, interesting storytelling again. I think that's probably a theme with this director. But he plays like Mm -hmm. he's got that face and he's got that demeanor of a super nice guy. So not not what you'd expect of this kind of baby face actor that you see. This is, I think, the third film that he and Anne Savage starred in together. Um, despite the fact that they didn't really get along. Apparently, Anne Savage found him to be childish, is what I remember. And <laughs> she didn't really care for him. Yet they ended up appearing several times. Probably only just because they were working for the same low-budget studios. <laughs> yes, yeah. That probably that relationship probably worked to their favor in this movie as well. Oh, possibly. Yeah, and like as I said, we were looking for something more from Ann Savage in the last film. And so we wanted to find something that, you know, is, did she have something more to do? Boy, did we hit the <laughs> jackpot, I think, with this yes, one. Yes, she had a little bit more of a part in this one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Well, just to give a brief synopsis before we get into the meat of the film, the movie is about a jazz pianist, Al Roberts, played by Neil, who decides to travel to L.A. to reunite with his fiance who had left earlier. The only way for him to get there is to hitchhike. Somewhere in Arizona, he is picked up by Charlie Haskell, who is also traveling to L.A. During a late night of driving, after Al has taken the wheel, it starts raining and Al pulls over to put the top up on the car, unable to wake Charlie, who is apparently sound asleep. When opening the door, Charlie falls out and strikes his head on a rock. Panicked that no one would believe his story, Al hides the body and assumes Charlie's identity. The trouble really begins, however, when Al picks up Vera off the side of the road, a woman who knew the real Charlie Haskell. And that's where I was telling you before we recorded, I wasn't sure how exactly to end that synopsis. That's why I just kind of decided to end it there. (laughs) Really, that's when you start going into the movie and what really needs to be talked about with this film, and that is the character Mm -hmm. of Vera. But um, I think we will get there. One of the things that struck me early about this film was how much time we spent. I mean, the first maybe 10 minutes of this relatively short film is spent with Al Roberts being a jazz piano Mm -hmm. player and playing in a club. And his girlfriend is Sue and she sings at the club and their relationship. He plays. He plays really well. I definitely got the impression that Neil actually did play Mm -hmm. piano. The long shots looked like he was actually playing and playing fairly well, but I think some of the tighter shots with, with the, <laughs> some of the more um, extreme pieces, uh, yes. intricate, uh, yeah, were, was probably a mm-hmm. stand-in. But he himself, I think, was playing the piano mm-hmm. at times. Uh, we spent a lot of time with that, and then it has absolutely <laughs> nothing else to do. It has nothing to do with the rest well, of the it's film. <laughs> I, I mean, it is interesting. It doesn't have any impact on the events in the rest of the film, but I think it does a lot to build your understanding of this character. I pounded the piano in there every night from eight until the place closed up, which usually meant four in the morning. A good job as jobs went in those days. Then two, there was Sue, who made working there a little like working in heaven. But how we felt about each other, well, there was nothing very unusual in that. I was an ordinary healthy guy, and she was an ordinary healthy girl. And when you add those two together, you get an ordinary healthy romance, which is the old story. Sure, 
But somehow, the most wonderful thing in the world. All in all, I was a pretty lucky guy. This is a guy that has been, you know, working really hard, playing nights, you know, with the girl that he loves, just working, he says until four in the morning most nights in, you know, early on when he's talking about where, where he came from. And, you know, he's just, he's, just, he keeps trying to settle down with Sue. He keeps trying to get her to marry him. I mean, he just wants, you can, you get this, it, this feeling that he's this just basic guy. I think he even says early on, he's a normal, healthy guy and she's a normal, healthy girl. And that added up to a normal, healthy romance, you know, and, and that's what he thinks his life is going to be. She's telling him, you know, you're going to get a play in Madison square at some point. And he's like, yeah, that's not, yeah, whatever. It's not like Carnegie Hall. Carnegie. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before there was Madison square. That's right. And, uh, and he says, you know, yeah, maybe, but that's not what he's hitching his dreams on. He's just expecting to have a basic, simple life. And then her going off to California to try and make it as a movie star derails everything he's thought he's going to have. And he's built everything, all of his hopes up on this. And so I think if you just came into it immediately with him hitchhiking, you'd be like, okay, who's this guy? I don't care about him. But I think taking that time to really help you understand this is a guy who's really talented, but who's not expecting to make it big. You know, this is a guy who spent his, he's, he's grinding and he's grinding so that he can build a life for himself and this woman. And that's, I think the only reason you can understand, okay, he's just trying to get to her. Otherwise this whole premise of him going on this literally cross country from New York to California hitchhiking trip makes no sense. He's got nothing to his name, no money, just the clothes on his back. And if it were anything else, you'd think, why didn't he just stop and get a job? Why didn't he just, you know, if he can play the piano, why didn't he stop and play the piano? What, you know, but I think you have to have that deeper understanding of who he is and why he's trying so hard to get to her to make the rest of this even make any sense at all. No, that that I do agree. I just thought it was interesting that they chose to make him the pianist. It is interesting, because, isn't it? Because he could have been he could have easily been a short order cook. He could or have a been a, yeah. a factory worker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just had I, a girlfriend and it still had all that same and she still could have gone to LA to try to make it as an actress or something mm-hmm. like that. All that it, it was just an interesting element to put in and to spend all that time on. And then it have really no bearing other than being like the trigger when he hears the song that he used to always yeah. have to play yeah. that she would sing but again. But that still could have been like just their song. He their could have song. been a short order cook with a girlfriend actress. And that was their song. <laughs> but I think I think what you're the, what they're doing, though, and especially in this era, pulling the audience in to somebody that has pardon this phrasing, but just a higher value. He's a, he's a valuable person. He's not just some schmuck. He's a guy that's really talented. And so it, it makes you want him, him to succeed more. If he's going to go all the way to California and just become, you know, a short order cook, then you're kind of like, ah, you know, okay, good luck to him. I hope he does well. But we're 
we're led into this expectation early on that he's going to, you know, his girls had a hard time, but he's going to go out there and they're going to work hard together. And they're, we're kind of expecting them to make it together. We're expecting them to get out to California and maybe start doing some nightclub work there. And then somebody realized how talented he is and how talented she is. Like you're, they're building that expectation that this guy's going to get discovered, you know? And so you're, you're looking for that to happen in this story. I think there's a lot of that's part of the what's going to make this story so impactful is this is not just any guy. This is a guy who could make it. This is a guy who genuinely has some talent, who has some skills. And on top of that, he's a sensitive, poetic soul. He's a musician. This isn't just kind of a rough guy that's used to getting by, which is, I think, part of what gets him into where he goes. He really isn't from the gutter. He, yeah, he may have grown up poor, but he's not a rough guy. He may not have had a lot of great luck, but he's had a lot of training. He's had a lot of musical training. A lot of, you know, practice has gone into making him such an exceptional pianist. And there is a part in this where he's playing. I'm totally monologuing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's a scene early on where he's playing and you can tell his mind's not on the music. His mind's just kind of wandering, but he goes through these like six or seven movements that are really different from one another, you know, and ends up getting a big $10 tip at the end of it. This is a guy who's, he's artistic and he's sensitive, but he's, you know, devoted. So it it's more of that push. You really want him to succeed because he he deserves it more than anybody else, more even than Sue, who left him to go try and make it because she's young and might still be able to. If anybody in this movie, he deserves to have a happy ending. And that's, I totally should stop talking right now. I'll talk about it <laughs> later. <laughs> this man deserves to be happy. Right. Well, you, you did bring up a really great scene that I definitely want to talk about was him playing the piano after Sue has left. Mm-hmm. You know, you could tell that they're, the whatever joy maybe was in his life had had gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, his entire life had been kind of turned upside down. They were going to get married like the next day, mm-hmm. and Sue's like, "No, I, I think we're going to hold off on getting married, and I want to go to L.A. now and see if I can make it." And it, like you said, it completely disrailed his like his plan for his life. Yeah. So he's still playing at the Break o Dawn uh, Jazz Club, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's completely just staring off into the distance, not at all in tune to what he's doing, but still able to play this amazing piece on this piano. Mm -hmm. And he does, yeah, gets him the $10 tip and then that great monologue. Roberts, you hit the jackpot this time. Ten bucks. Thanks. So when this drunk handed me a ten spot after a request, I couldn't get very excited. What was it, I asked myself? A piece of paper crawling with germs. 
couldn't buy anything I wanted. Journey paper, <laughs> yep, exactly. And suddenly somebody understands how I felt about money my whole life. <laughs> I don't want to touch it, it's got germs. But no, you know, to him it's less than even, he doesn't even think of it as something that can buy him a meal. It's just, it's nothing to him without Sue. Which is what is finally the, I think that moment is kind of like the, um, it's the breaking point for him. He's just like, yeah, the straw. Exactly. He's like, okay, that's it. And that's when he decides to, uh, ring up Sue. He's like, nope, I'm coming out there. And when we get there, let's get married. And, and that's where the, um, the film kind of really starts taking off. Uh, and he says, you know, after selling everything, he pretty much had enough money to eat for a while. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, hitchhiking was the only way to get there. That's quite the adventure. Uh, hitchhiking from New York to L.A. <laughs> yeah. Adventure is a pleasant way to put it. And he, he gets into the details of that saying, you never know, you know, what's wh who's behind the door, the car door that you open. You never know who you're getting into a car with. You don't know. He says, you know. You don't, you don't want to say the wrong thing and get kicked out of a car just for saying the wrong thing. You losing a ride to the next town or to the, ne you know, the next state. Right. Or talking at all. Yeah, he kind of sits there and, and waits uh, when he gets picked up by Charlie. He mentions that he, he doesn't say anything because mm -hmm. you don't want to start opening your mouth up too soon. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, maybe they don't want a talker. Maybe they just want to give the person a lie, drop them off, that's it. And mm -hmm. So, yeah, he just, he just waits until... Charlie actually says something, which is a, a really great a foreshadowing that this film does, which I think is great. Is no one ever says anything, but it's just Charlie saying, hey, give me that little box of pills out of the glove box. Mm -hmm. And he has to, he, you see him do that a couple times uh, while, we, while we see Charlie, which kind of builds up to, and I, I mentioned, did I even mention in the synopsis that Charlie, oh yeah, that Charlie <laughs> falls out of the car. Yeah it, yeah, it it sets up the idea that Charlie had some sort of, uh, maybe a heart condition. And mm -hmm. he was most likely dead before he ever hit the pavement. <laughs> exactly. But that's never said. He never says anything about his ticker or anything like that. It's yes. Just, it's yeah. just this thing with the the pills to just give this sort of a hint that there's something else going on. I really appreciated that. That is something that's just um, that's an art form that is kind of lost on yes. films today. Yeah, and even in that time was was sure. overlooked quite often. So you don't get that subtlety. I, that's one of the things I think that's going to make this film be one of those that they they decide is worth keeping. It's not in your face. It's not obvious. They don't tell you from the beginning, this is a tragedy. <laughs> they don't tell <laughs> right. you from the beginning, hey, guess what? Sue's going to leave him in the first 10 minutes. Well, I mean, they do in the first 10 minutes, but, you know, it, it builds these little things. It's all, there. there's a lot, there is a lot in this movie that you don't catch the first time through. There's some things you don't catch the first time through. And what I really appreciate is when you first sit down to watch this film, you truly have no idea which direction this movie's going to go. Exactly. You could sit down and you kind of have 
okay, I, well, yeah, I think I see what's going to happen. No, no, you don't. You know, you really <laughs> no, you have really no idea. Don't. No. <laughs> it's this a is gonna pleasant be... surprise every step of the way. <laughs> it's, this is going to be one of those movies we're going to have a hard time not saying too much about. <laughs> <laughs> Got to not give away too much. <laughs> For the record, and I know we're already, you know, 10, 15 minutes into this. If you haven't watched the movie yet, you should turn this off and go watch the movie. Yes, uh, absolutely. This is just one of those movies that if if you know too much, it's not going to be as impactful. So mm-hmm. right now, you should just just do it. <laughs> just, yes, yes. just pause pause us, go watch the movie, and then come back. Yeah, this is not one of those movies where you could listen to us talk about it and spoil it and still enjoy and be surprised by it. No, no, it's yeah. just not. You need, to, you need to see it first before you hear anyone talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think we've said as much as you can, as we can get by with before. Yeah, I mean, once we get to the point that Ann, that Ann, uh, that Ann Savage gets in the car, yeah, you, this, that's it. We're, it's yep. all, it's Glo- all bets Gloves are off. Are off. Yeah, literally, <laughs> yeah. We, we cannot talk about the character of Vera <laughs> until you Without, watch this movie. <laughs> it, literally, yeah. So go do that if you haven't yet. Uh, now, moving on. That said. <laughs> we do get to the point where... Um, it, it seems pretty obvious that Charlie has uh, passed on in his sleep while riding yeah. in the car. Well, and, Car- and Charlie, Charlie's an interesting character himself. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, he, you know, of course he stops to pick up a hitchhiker. Seems like an okay guy. He's, uh, you know, he doesn't talk too much at first. And he, he's got this nice car. Uh, and when they stop, he 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 buys lunch for, for Al. So... You know, even though he kind of gets to talking and he's a little bit of a braggart, he's not, you know, he seems like, oh, he's probably an okay guy. Yeah, he's not going to let this guy riding along with him starve to death, you know? Oh, that's pretty That's pretty cool of him. He seems like an okay guy, but f- for the era, there are things that I think are, well, weren't okay then and certainly aren't okay now. I guess at least an hour passed before I noticed those deep scratches in his right hand. They were wicked. Three puffy red lines about a quarter of an inch apart. He must have seen me looking at them because he said, Beauties, aren't they? They're going to be scars someday. What an animal. Whatever it was, it must have been pretty big and vicious to have done that. Right on both counts, New York. I was tussling with the most dangerous animal in the world. A woman. She must have been Tarzan's mate. Looks like you lost the bob. Certainly wasn't a draw. You know, there ought to be a law against dames with claws. Yeah. I tossed her out of the car in her ear. Was I wrong? Give a lift to a tomato, you expect it to be nice, don't you? Yeah. After all, what kind of dame some rides? Sunday school teachers? Yeah, he pretty much comes out and says that he expected a little action from her and yes. didn't get it. And yeah, it, which it is left him with a bunch of scrapes on his hand uh, yeah. from, from her nails. And what I but I do appreciate the fact that Al doesn't really. Oh yeah, you you're right. He just goes uh huh, because you know, yes. he's riding in this guy's car, so he's like he doesn't yeah. want to like be contrary. He doesn't want to start an argument, so he's just like yep. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Haskell, I mean, you you from the beginning, you're like okay. Well, I think I think really from the beginning, you don't realize quite how much of a heel he is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> which of course you know we come to find out a little bit here 
but then as they keep going along and and he you know start he decides to sleep and let Al drive I, I felt like for most most people wouldn't let a stranger drive their car like no matter how tired they are they're probably not just going to give over control of their vehicle to a stranger so I thought that was interesting and I I read that as oh he's a trusting guy we tend to judge other people based on our own standards so oh he's probably not that bad you know maybe he's just mm. you know maybe it's like you said just a sign of the times that some guys just expect gratitude from a woman which of course, you can hardly say that now without a disclaimer. Oh, it's in the movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. But at this time, you know, it was it was kind of a little more not acceptable, but mainstream. Yeah, that's a good point where you, you talk about the letting someone drive your car. Maybe only because of the situation that they find themselves in. I mean, he is also driving to L.A. He's making the long, you know, cross-country trip or something like mm-hmm. that. So maybe this just it works out for him. You know, he can Mm -hmm. make the time better because now someone else can drive. He doesn't have to stop and sleep. Um, And that's true. He he does say he needs to get there by Thursday, I think, because he's got a bet he he needs to place on a horse. And so, yeah, it makes a little bit more sense. We already know he's a gambler. We already know he thinks women, you know, owe him gratitude if he gives them a ride. So, yeah, (laughs) you know, as you're going along, you're getting those breadcrumbs that this guy's maybe a little sketchy. That does bring us up to his his death and the uh, circumstances that leads Al to do what he does. <sighs> that is probably the part that where I kind of, although they, they, they try to do a good job with the, the monologue, with the voiceover, explaining why he makes the decisions that he does. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the things where you have to kind of hit the uh, I believe button or something like that. You know, the, the suspension of disbelief because right. it just seems like this seems a bit of a push, you know, or, or yeah. a, a bit of a stretch. It, it seems pretty easy to that you could have. I mean, the guy wasn't waking up. The rain is pouring down on his head. You've shaken him. You stopped the car. You've shake. You shook him again, and he still hasn't woken up. The guy probably, you know, him falling out of that car door and hitting his head. Yeah, he didn't feel that either. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but that makes an interesting point as a avid watcher of forensic files. <laughs> this is 1945. We today go, oh yeah, well, first of all, it's raining real heavily, but we go, oh, they'd be able to tell from the type of injury, the blood splatter, you know, all the stuff we expect. They'll be able to really easily tell he didn't kill this guy. The guy was already dead. But in 1945, he makes a real point. Nobody, no cop, no jury is going to see the guy was dead. He The only visible injury on him is damage to the side of his head. Nobody's going to believe that this was an accident when he fell out of the car, which I think is part of, part of what's compelling about this moment is, yeah, no, I wouldn't believe it either. We, as the audience, kind of don't believe it. So it makes sense that he, his leap to, I'm going to be blamed for this guy's death, it does kind of make sense because, yeah, we're all like, wow, that that series of events is so far-fetched. Yeah, nobody would believe that. So it, it does make a little bit of sense that he goes, wow, if, if I stick around here, I'm going to get blamed for this guy's death and I got to get to Sue. I have to, I have to keep going. Now, moving his body out of the car, oh, that's... <sighs> 
that's a whole different level of personal choices that we can't make for him. Obviously, he decides if he has to stop somewhere and there's a dead guy in the car, he's going <laughs> to get questions. Yeah, there's a, there's some suspension of disbelief required there, but there's not at no point is there a massive leap in his mental process. I see some questionable judgment, but I don't mm-hmm. see just giant leaps of insanity. And not at this point anyway. <laughs> no, and he, he takes it all very logically. I, that was something that was interesting for, you know, he decides, oh, no one's going to believe it. They're going to think I killed him to get his money. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to hide the body. Well, wait, if I just hide the body, I can't just leave him dumped here. Um, you know, so he decides that in, in the and car sitting money. here. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I yeah, I can't. I can't leave him here with the car just sitting here because it's like a mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it? It's like it would be a grave marker. Um, yes. So he he's got to take They'd the car. They start but, looking for me. Yeah. Yeah, they start looking for me, and people have seen me. The people at the diner or the people at the gas station. Um, but then he's like, okay, so I've, I'll, I'll hide the body and I'll take the car. But wait, these clothes. You know, they're, yeah. they're going to wonder why someone dressed like this is driving a car like this. Um, I have to so, have gas money. He's got money in his wallet. I got to take that. Well, if I take his wallet, I need to have his ID because the car has his registration. There right. is a step-by-step process that's very logical. So he does travel on from this. He does kind of assume his identity a bit, uh, uses the money, uh, finds a place to sleep for for a night because he's dead tired. He finds, So he crashes uh, for a night. And uh, he moves on getting gas or I, I, stops for water, which is something, again, you know, 1940s. <laughs> definitely a sign of the times there. He has to stop not for fuel, but for water. But for water. <laughs> to put in the car. I, I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of fun. And yeah. he sees a woman standing there at the side of the road looking for a ride. This is probably his biggest mistake. He's trying to be a nice guy. But if you think you've killed somebody... <laughs> and taking this his is, identity, yes. maybe picking up another hitchhiker isn't the best idea. This is the biggest leap, uh, the biggest suspension of disbelief for me because I'm the same way. If I've done something and I'm scared that I'm going to get caught about it, the last thing I'm going to do is want another person in the car with me. That's just, right. I'm not going to want that. But yes. he sees a woman by the side of the road. He tells her to hop in. Right. Yes. His plan was to just drive the car till he gets to L.A. or San Bernardino, some big city where he could just park it and walk away. And no one would notice it was there for who knows how long and he wouldn't have anything to worry about. So, yeah, picking up someone else to ride in this car. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a smart move. Questionable again. <laughs> Probably and not then- super logical. And then, extremely unfortunate for him, it turns out to be Vera. Mm-hmm. And this is the Anne Savage. And um, I think that's the end of our episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it almost needs to be. <laughs> almost needs to be. <laughs> this was the part in the film where uh, I had to go back and watch it a second time because I thought maybe I just did that little like, you know, 30 second cat nap or something like that while watching the film because she, he picks her up. She's, she's pretty standoffish. She's practically sitting on the door, keeping her distance from him. You know, as they're driving along, she's not saying anything. The girl must've been pretty tired because she fell asleep. Not 20 minutes after she stepped into the car, she lay sprawled out with her head resting against the far door like Haskell. I didn't like that part of it much, but I didn't wake her up. 
It wasn't that this girl still worried me. I'd gotten over that funny feeling I had when she looked at me, which I put down as just my jangled nerves. With her eyes closed and the tenseness gone out of her, she seemed harmless enough. And instead of disliking her, I began to feel sorry for her. The poor kid probably had had a rough time of it. Who was she anyway? And why was she going to Los Angeles? And where'd she come from in the first place? The only thing I knew about it was her name. Not that it made any difference. A few hours more and we'd be in Hollywood. I'd forget where I parked the car and look up Sue. This nightmare of being a dead man would be over. Who this dame was, well, it was no business of mine. Where did you leave his body? Where did you leave the owner of this car? You're not fooling anyone. This buggy belongs to a guy named Haskell. That's not you, mister. You're out of your mind. That's my name, Charles Haskell. I can prove it. It's my driver's Save license. Save yourself the trouble, mister. Having Haskell's wallet only makes it worse. It just so happens I rode with Charlie Haskell all the way from Louisiana. He picked me up outside of Shreveport. You rode? You heard me. Whoa, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. The first time I watched it, I thought, did I doze off? Did I miss a scene? Yeah, <laughs> yeah did, you did have he, a moment. Did where... he introduce himself? Anything? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I think I think he says he tells her, well, maybe not. Have gosh. No, she starts <laughs> out, this this car belongs to a guy named Haskell, and you ain't him. Yeah. Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. And he's like, no, what? You're crazy. No, that's me. And then she's like, no, no, no. He picked me up in Louisiana. We rode all the way from Shreveport. But he's in the same clothes as Haskell. So same clothes, same car. And then she's like, and, and it's interesting because... I didn't think about the clothes. You're right. Yeah. But she says a little bit later on, she says, you even had me fooled for a minute. Like, I actually thought you were him. And then, but obviously, probably Mm. since she fall, I I thought about this a lot. (laughs) Since she (laughs) falls asleep or, quote, falls asleep, unquote, and he doesn't try anything. Because we already know, well, we eventually get to know pretty quickly that this is the girl that Claude... Haskell's hand like this is her and presumably I feel like the whole falling asleep thing is an act she puts on to see what happens oh and interesting I like the very that fact, yeah the very fact that he doesn't try to paw her as they would say she knows it's not him because she's already met Haskell she already knows he's going to expect something and she doesn't All get caught right. by this guy wearing the same clothes in the same car the, yeah there's definitely you know probably the obviously the same license plate number so yeah, I think she set him up. I think she was expecting him to make him. That up. makes a little bit more sense too, because the way she opens her eyes, she kind of does that sort of half open squint kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't really want him to know I'm looking. Uh, maybe he yes. won't notice that I'm watching. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think she set him up. I think she, from the minute that she, I think even, and and it's one of those things where maybe I imagined it, but going back a second time. I think when he says hop on in, she she starts toward the car and then kind of has a moment of hesitation and then goes and gets, you know, goes toward the car. And I think that she's, you know, going, wait a minute, that's that guy again, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when she sees his face and realizes it's not him, I think this whole thing. And as you learn more about her character later on, and she mentions both being from the gutter, which is an assumption on her part, and I think a false one. But I think she is she's one of those people and he says you know she looks like she just got kicked off the the you know worst freight train in town or something like that 
she's been around the block. She's had, you know, the hard knocks. She's used to the the guys trying to paw her and all this stuff. And she he says she's in her mid-20s. So this is a girl that she's she's ready to have to defend herself. And so I think that the fact that she doesn't have to makes her all the more suspicious, especially coming from the environment that she's coming from, that she says she comes from. I think it, she's thinking anybody that's not trying to get something out of me is definitely trying to cheat me. Anybody that seems like they're being nice is definitely, definitely not really nice. That's going to be her life experience. Yeah, I like it. I like that a lot. He tries to explain to her what happened, and much like he thought, she doesn't believe a word of it. Of course it. not. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a, and as you kind of described her and everything, you know, as being from the, the girl that expects everybody to want something from somebody you know, or want from her, she decides that, no, this is, this is a good chance for her to make good a little bit. And she's mm -hmm. conniving to, oh my gosh. Uh, so, so she decides that you and I aren't, are going to be like Siamese twins. You're not going anywhere without me and we're going to go and you're, you're probably just, you were probably just going to dump this car. You could sell this car. We'd probably get mm -hmm. good money for it. So yeah, she, she's in it for the long haul to try to get as much out of this guy as possible because she now knows that she has him around her finger. And I like what she says. She, she even tells him, she says, you, don't you know that, that an abandoned car immediately requires an investigation? I don't think that's true. I think Probably that not. I, I think she's setting him up. I think from the moment she, I think actually, I think her standing on the side of the road, she's looking for a fish hook. And I think that every step from there on, she's, she's going to get everything she can. I think the only reason she couldn't get it out of Haskell is because they were two of a kind. That's what mm. I think. Because we, I, we skipped over the part, but um, after he, you know, he sleeps in the hotel, he goes through mm -hmm. Haskell's things to try to learn a little bit about him. And That's he right. finds out that he, he's, he was less of a gambler and more of a grifter. Yeah. And he found a, he found a letter that he was going to figure out a way to like blackmail money from his, from his dad or something from like that. From his estranged or? father. Yeah. He, yeah, he said yeah. he was a Bible salesman in the letter. And right. uh, he was going to try and, you know, obviously try and get the money for the gambling off of his old man. So, yeah, I think they were two of a kind. And I think that I think that that's the only reason she didn't get the upper hand on Haskell in the first place. We were talking about Ann Savage and looking for a film with with more meat uh, for her because we saw something in her as little as they gave her to do in Midnight Manhunt. We saw talent within her. Man, is it on display in this film? I mean, mm -hmm. she is chillingly like scary in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, she she is a person's worst nightmare to have someone who thinks they have, and well, honestly, as far as he knows, yeah. yeah, over a barrel. She's terribly frightening because yeah. there's no bluff that she won't call. She's got nothing to lose, and we find out a little later that she really has nothing to lose. So I don't want to get too much into that. But um, yeah, she's, this is a person that she's not going to have anything put over on her. And she's, she is in it for every last drop she can get. Absolutely. But it, which is interesting, the first time I watched this, I just thought, you know, here's this youngish woman who's hitchhiking, probably, you know, had a rough time hitchhiking. And, uh, and as it goes on and she becomes more and more manipulative and demanding, I was 
surprised. And the second time you watch it, you're not surprised. Because I think I, I, it's interesting. There's a lot about it I really want to talk about, but I don't want to give anything away. This may be one of those movies that we have to say, okay, and if you don't want any spoilers, you have to stop listening now because we're going to talk about the end of this I th movie. I think we gave we gave that <laughs> well long ago because I mean, even the things that we've said since then are the kind of things that you really don't want to know. You really, yes, <laughs> yeah. But I think we're gonna probably, probably going to end up having to talk about the end of this movie to get all this in here. But uh, they they end up uh, she 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 really she's really serious about them having to stick together and she's going to get everything she can out of this she rents an apartment with under the names of mr and mrs haskell mm -hmm. and uh man she is vicious in this home sweet home yeah not bad either In case there's any doubt in your mind, I'll take the bedroom. Yeah. Sure is stuffy in here. Keep the window shut. Okay. The old crow downstairs said there's a folding bed behind this door. You know how to work it? I invented it. Some joint. One can't have everything. I'm first in the bathtub. I don't know why, but I figured you would be. She, man, she's so strange. She's both extremely caustic and bristly and also bizarrely sensual. There are moments yes. in this, like she says, I get the bath, you know, but the look she gives him when she says that. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I get the bath first, you know, and then she kind of gives him a look. And, and there's a point where she says, I'm going to go to bed. And she starts, and this is later on, but she starts to like rub his arm and he pulls away from her and she's offended by it. Even though she's this, she's just awful to him. She's also really offended that he's not interested in, you know, getting involved with her. It's she's, she's like crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but interestingly, and he makes a comment about, you know, her having a really bad cough and something about Camille. Um, yeah, uh, that was another little element in this film that really surprised me. Again, mm -hmm. not like pointed out. This is the time of uh, tuberculosis, or, or as they refer to it in the film as consumption. He mm -hmm. just mentions, you know, she's got this bad cough, and he or she's got a cough, and he's like, you got a pretty bad cough. You should look some about this. You know, friend's sister or something like that who you know died of consumption, and you know, no, he says. He he mentions Camille uh, from the movie Camille. Oh, okay, that's it. Actually, yeah, and uh, and she says, "Who's Camille?" And he says, "Oh, never mind." And she says, "Wasn't that that girl in that movie that had consumption?" And he right. says, "Yeah, that's it." And so, uh, it, without actually saying, "Oh, you've got tuberculosis." Yes. At no point does she say, "Oh, I'm I'm terminally ill." You know, she right. never says it, but. Knowing that and going back and rewatching the movie, I think that's what made me start thinking, oh, she's, she's it. This is it. This is her last leg. She's going to get everything she can before she kicks it. Yeah. She's in, she's in this to get everything from anybody she can. Yeah. Making one last run at, uh, at life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The only exactly. way she knows how by, by using and manipulating people. Exactly. Yeah. 
So she's, I mean, she is, you're right. She's, I think, probably the skin. If we mentioned earlier flipping the roles on this, if this had been a woman driver picking up a hitchhiker and him manipulating her like this, this would be straight up horror. This would be yes. a horror film really fast. Uh, well, and, and I think it, this one still qualifies. I think you could definitely call this some sort of a, a thriller or horror film just definitely. because she's a uh, the, the roles are the way they are. I don't think mm. changes that. And I think it's really interesting, especially for the time, 1941, to have this strong of a female character and to have a, this strong of a female character being an evil character. Yes, and really evil, not just like, and he even says it, you know, if this were, if this were a story had a happy ending, you know, I'd fall in love with Vera and make a, you know, a straight yeah. woman out of her or, you know, or and, Sue and yeah. I would cry over her, her tragic sacrifice for me, but this isn't that kind of story. So much to appreciate about this film just for little elements like that, 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 that are thrown in. Uh, just yeah, really the, impressive stuff. Yeah, it's one of those stories that they say, you know, sometimes they'll say this, this movie knows what it is. You know, it knows itself. And and there aren't a lot of movies out there, a lot of movies that kind of leave it to the audience to interpret. This movie, they're not leaving anything to interpretation. Well, they're not leaving any of the key points to interpretation, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know how much more you want to talk. I mean, there's a point where she discovers that she could try to get even more out of mm-hmm. this poor guy than she yeah. already has with an absolutely ludicrous scheme, which he tries to dissuade her from and gives her all the reasons why this is not going to work, but yeah. she d- she won't hear of it, mm-hmm. uh, which leads to the climax of the film. And yeah, that's kind of where I don't, I don't know if, how much you want to spoil that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that's the big question there. I think I, I so I, I think maybe probably I got it out of the way by mentioning, you know, she's, She's terminally ill and she knows she is, or at least suspects she is. So the, the plot she hatches is nobody in their right mind would actually consider it. But I think, again, it's one of those things where she has to be in the position she's in to even consider it and definitely to push for it. Uh, right. You know, she's there's some rampant alcohol abuse going on when all of this <laughs> yes. is go, is in play. Vera drives this movie from the minute she steps into it until the end of the movie. She is the one that drives every step that happens in this movie. Uh, and it's bizarre. It's, a, it's really interesting because Al, this nice, sweet guy that we've already said deserves to have a happy ending, deserves to do well in life because, you know, he's... He's got everything that a person should have to be, for in our minds, to be able to have a, a happy and a successful life. He, she could only be the person she is to take advantage of him if he's the way he is and if she's in the position she's in. You know, he, he talks about it at a couple of times, sometimes fatal, just grab you for no good reason. Fatal, just destroy your life for no good reason. But it is... It, there are some heavy impetus, impetuses, empathy. <laughs> there are some heavy forces. There you go. That that are that push them to have the interactions that they have. And without her having that terminal illness, I she she is not afraid of anything because she's already she's got her death sentence. You know, she even says, what's the worst thing they could do? They could do the same to me, a rope. And she says, and I'm already on my way out. So she, you can't, she, nobody else, 
nobody that's not in her position would force the way that she does, which is good because otherwise we'd have an entire country full of psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, this woman is a psychopath. A psychopath that makes a lot of sense and is really terrifying because, because she makes sense based on her situation. And, t- and terrifying because she's not afraid of anything. And through the whole time, I mean, we actually do hope that Al can get out from underneath her boot. Yeah. And and it even on the moments where it looks like, oh, he, he's close, and it just suddenly she stomps down even harder on him. Yeah. And you keep... Like you were saying, you're hoping for a happy ending for this guy. You want to see him you know, reunite with Sue and they live happily ever after. But this film is a tragedy it by is no other by definition. definition. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, we've talked about I'm not a huge fan of film noir. I, I find it, frankly, depressing. <laughs> and I mean, and that's, that is by definition, film noir is a movie without a happy ending. It's not yeah. a movie where they walk off into the sunset laughing together. You know, yeah. that's why... Black film. I mean, it's that's it is by definition. Dark, yes. <laughs> it's dark. It's incredibly dark. And it's interesting. This is, this is a movie that I... The first time I watched it, I said, Oh, yep, of course, didn't like it. It's film noir. Of course, I didn't like it. But this is more than just film noir. Uh, it, t- you know, the, the little tagline that they have it for it is a black paranoid vision. And really, the the level of, I mean, it is accurate. Al does get extremely paranoid for many good reasons. Is it paranoia if it's justified? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's justified in this case. But it this movie is is a thriller. You're exactly right. It's, I don't, I don't know that I would class it as horror, but I would absolutely, uh, class it as a psychological thriller because this guy is put through the ringer. Short of being horror, I can't think of another antagonist of Vera's caliber. I think your comment about you not liking a lot of film noir, I I think that's because a good portion of it, because it kind of got popular to be film noir there was a lot of films that were done that way just for the sake of being done that way mm-hmm. and you know storytelling be damned what this movie is is it's the storytelling first it just mm-hmm. happens to be film noir i mean mm-hmm. this is really good storytelling yeah it is yeah now, and i and i and i agree and i disagree i think i don't like film noir because I, I like happy endings i think oh, I'm, well, it's that it's that shallow <laughs> I want to watch something that's going to make me happier. And in this movie, it is not to say that I don't like it because it's a bad film. And it's, and I, I wouldn't even say I don't like it. I would say it's not my type of film because I like happy endings, but, (laughs) but it is, that doesn't detract from my appreciation of the movie. Yeah. I I think if you don't, if you don't watch it for any reason, except just to see Anne Savage in it, it's worth it. It's not the type of film I can watch all the time. I, I think anyone yes. that watches nothing but films like this, like film noir or, or anything, you are a depressed and lonely individual. You're going to become Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not Jeffrey you're, Dahmer, but yeah. you're, you're going to become not Vera. Gonna be happy. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to become be Vera. Vera. Don't be Vera. <laughs> uh, but so no. I, I agree with you. There are times where you definitely, a majority of the time, I want a happy ending as well. Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate and don't enjoy a film like this. Uh, yeah. Just for 
because it's done as well as it is, it certainly helps. Yeah, and do I think that it's deserving of having been preserved? Absolutely. This is a movie that I, they in in when I was studying film in college, they had me watch Blue Velvet. I wish they'd had me watch Detour instead, because uh, it just is. It, it's the same sort of psychological effect, but the story is so much more kind of riveting. I, it's I, in my opinion. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get comments from that one, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, comment. Please tell us what you think. <laughs> Detour or Blue Velvet? Oh, I can't believe I made that comp- <laughs> comparison. In my opinion, this is a superior film. Well, especially because we're talking about a film and we're talking about the storytelling, and it's storytelling between two people. I mean, the yeah. cast is effectively two people. Yeah, uh, we do it have is. a. We do have. I mean, Sue is in the very beginning and barely in the film she's that's not really a character in the story yeah she's not necessary to it yeah charlie we do see and he does drive a little bit of the plot but you know we we leave him fairly quickly and so for the bulk of the film it is just vera and al and those are the two and and much of the time is them in the apartment talking yeah yeah and interestingly, talking with voiceover. So, <laughs> so it, but it's interesting. I mean, there's so much of it that he tells you what they say, but you can kind of imagine how this, how what was said. So I, I don't want to launch into one of my vague expositions, but seeing there's so much voiceover in this movie, and you would think that would detract heavily from it, but it, it weirdly it doesn't. No, it uh, really doesn't. It does not intrude. It it, it no. shows up when it needs to show up and quietly yeah, disappears when there's actually something very interesting going on that you yes. don't want to be distracted from. Yeah, and, and I think prevents a lot of unnecessary dialogue, which is going to sound strange, a lot of unnecessary dialogue, but you don't need to hear Vera's threats to know how scary she is. She's You've already heard some of them. You've already seen some of them. You don't need to you know, hear him pleading for 30 extra minutes of film. This is only an hour and eight minutes, I think. Is that right? <laughs> an hour I and eight so. minutes? I think so. Yeah. You don't need to hear an extra 30 minutes of him pleading and her demanding to really get the feeling of what's going yeah. on here. So yeah, effective use of voiceover, bizarrely. Uh, not not something super common in film. <laughs> 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 but definitely true in this case. So as a fan of happy endings, uh, watching a filmed war. Does that color your oathful ratings for this one? No, because it's a film. <laughs> there, I think that if they had, if it had, if they had unnecessarily thrust Sue in at a point and made it seem like it was going to work out, and then pulled a, a Deus Ex Machina to make it, you know, or or some kind of ridiculous hail mary to make it all the more tragic, then I would hate this movie. But I. I respect that a, a ways into it it says this isn't a, this isn't a happy ending. You know, this is this is a story about how fate really screws with you. And so yeah, since they didn't try and sucker punch you, which is what it would have been. Uh, no, I don't think it I don't think it does. But I think also I think Christopher you've desensitized me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the last nine years of reviewing film with you have made me a little more open-minded. So, and, and you know, what we're talking about here, it's worth pointing out, what we talk about is not about 
if we we do talk about if we like a movie or not but i think when we're rating the movies we aren't rating them on whether we liked them or not i think we're rating them based on our opinion of their merit which is different than whether i liked it or not you know you can really really respect something and appreciate the craft of it but it just not be your style you know we don't all dress we don't all dress in 70s and put shag in our in our house there's some really nice shag carpet in the world that doesn't mean i'm gonna put it in my house but that doesn't detract from it being very good quality so yeah i think i don't think it does that's a very good point because uh, b- before we started giving ratings to films we covered some movies and I, the first one that popped in my head was the santa claus conquers the martians <laughs> which a crap movie it, it's a crap movie <laughs> But I enjoy it. I like that movie, but yeah. it's a crap movie. So yeah, well, if I, I would feel... like put it, if I put it, if I sat there, I could sat there and sing the praises and how much fun I have watching that movie, <laughs> and then put a rating on it. I'd go, oh yeah, one, two Othels mo- at most, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and I feel that way about Prisoners of the Lost Universe. I, it's one that it, yes. over the last yeah. nine years I've watched a couple more times, and anytime it pops <laughs> up, I go, oh, it's back on. Oh, let's watch that. You know, is it a is it a well crafted movie? Is it a great movie? Is it something that I think everybody should watch? No. But I, I like watching it. It's nostalgia for me. So this movie, I think, is is not that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a movie that, you know, there are some movies that you want to revisit periodically. Uh, not because they make you feel good. Don Quixote is a good example of that. I bawl like a child every time I watch Don Quixote. <laughs> but... It is a movie that is, it's a story that's worth remembering. It's a story worth seeing again. This is a movie that is not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make you feel terribly noble about the characters even. But if you enjoy watching a film that's well made, and if you enjoy, especially a thriller, a psychological thriller, I think this is one you'll watch again. Yep. Okay. So we should probably put some ratings on it officially. Yeah, probably. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of where I, that's where I was leading. I was trying to lead when I when I asked you the question in the first place. <laughs> well, eventually I'll stop monologuing and we'll get to it. <laughs> this is actually one where I think based on uh, on merit, I would rate it high, but I also really enjoyed it a- as well. Um, yeah, I hmm, I don't know if I have any reasons not to give it a full five. I think it's a fantastic example of. Getting a lot out of a little, you know, small budget uh, actors that are not the big famous actors. Everything's done kind of quick, kind of cheap, and like like I, I mentioned in the uh, in the opening, Almer uh, went with storytelling over you know continuity. He kind of wanted to like tell a good story regardless of anything else that he could could have possibly brought to the thing i i just really appreciate that i appreciate i think these the subtle elements um that set things up without spelling it out for you i think is fantastic storytelling so yeah i i'll just go ahead and give it a five and it, it's well worth of the uh being saved and put in the library of congress or whatever it was <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm trying hard to think of a good reason not to give it five littles. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of little technical issues, some, some negative flipping, and there, you know, there are occasional little things that are just, you know, the age of the film. 
but yeah, you know, gosh, I, I, it's weird. I kind of want to not give it five because I feel like we've been giving a lot of movies fives lately. I, that and is it, true. We've had a really, really good skewed. run. But it yeah. is interesting. I, I was asked the other day, oh, what's the last movie you did? And I was just going back through. I was like, oh, yeah, the last one we did was really good. But the one before that was a stinker. And I, I, I look, no, the one before that was pretty good, too. No, the one before that was pretty. We've actually had we had a rash of really bad movies at one point. And then we yes. had we've had a rash of really good movies. And so I think I have to say this is this is a five. I, I, the only reason I want to not give it five is because I love a happy ending. <laughs> but this really is worth the five othals. It, it is. Um, it's not drawn out, and it is. For, uh, honestly, I I didn't realize until you said till you mentioned it that it's only an hour and eight minutes. Um, I I didn't look at the timestamp on it any of the times that I watched it because. There's just, there's no reason to wonder how long have I been watching this movie? How much longer do I have to watch this movie? Yeah. As you're watching it, you're just going, this is a train wreck and I can't stop watching. Yeah. It <laughs> packs a lot into a very small time frame. Yeah. I was thinking, I'm watching the film and thinking, like, I, I can only be maybe halfway through this movie. And I had to get up to, like, put the dog outside or something like that. And I hit pause and it's like... I've only got 10 minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because even with that, you're, you would think it would feel like an abrupt ending. Um, and, and I think, you know, I could nitpick the ending. There's a little bit of it that I think was a little over dramatized, not, not the climax of the movie, but the very ending. But mm. even with that, I, if you put this together as a student film, in any era, if you didn't absolutely just fly through that class, this is just, there's nothing about this film that isn't, I'm going to stop talking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm vague monologuing again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Five Othels. But I do have a question for you. Sure. As, as you were talking about your reasoning for, uh, for your rating, I, I, I was thinking about all the films that we've had that we keep giving five othals. And I have to ask, if you were going to recommend this or Algiers, you have to pick either Detour mm. or Algiers to recommend. Which would it be? That is a tough question. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with the first. As soon as you, you asked the question, the first thing that came to my head was Algiers. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. this is... I, that's my hesitation in giving this five othals is not because it doesn't deserve it, but I think because we just so recently watched Algiers. It's like, oh, not because Algiers is more, is technically better. I think this movie bizarrely ha is technically superior to Algiers, but as a satisfying story goes and is the difference between this movie and Algiers, it's one thing. Algiers has a character you love. I was just going to say, I think what pushes it on the edge, what makes me want to say recommend Algiers is because, well, there's a really likable character in Algiers. Yeah. Where yep, in this film, Pepe. you you want to like characters, but there's there's you feel sorry for Al. You don't necessarily yes. like Al. You yes. feel sorry for Al. You yeah. obviously can't stand Vera. She's horrible. <laughs> she's, she's a tragic character in her own right, but you can't like her. You really right. can't. Uh, Charlie... As we discover, as a grifter and probably a rapist, 
So you know, <laughs> probably, no love, no love lost definitely. there. Yeah, no. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's the thing. That's where I struggle so much with film noir is it's not, it, I think I keep saying I love a happy ending. It's not really that I love a happy ending. It's that I want a character that I can really love, that I can really fall in love with. And film noir, like actually, I feel it goes out of its way to, to, strip away that kind of character they don't want a character that you can love the detective that's that's looking for the bad guy he's always too gritty not too gritty but he's he's gritty and he's unlikable because he's he's in these places because he's the only guy that can deal with this kind of situation you know the women that are in it that, that get taken advantage of that are vulnerable you're they're just a little too naive you, you just you want to tell them hey just be a little smarter you know and even the, the kind of hero like al is in this you're like come on man at some point you gotta just suck it up and and do some do something make a decision at some point and and phil noir is just doesn't let you have that character that you can love there's nobody lovable and so yeah i think i would pick algiers too but but that's a byproduct of the type of film that this is. It's, I think, as an example of film noir, you probably would be hard-pressed to find a better example. Uh, like we said, we've had a, a really good run of films. Um, I'm going to assume that's not going to last, but you know, we can hope. <laughs> I, well, it, it's funny. After having so many good films, I kind of am in the mood for a stinker. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get lucky. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm sure we will find something, and regardless of whether it's a good film or not, I'm sure we will enjoy talking about it. Absolutely. And we hope you all enjoy listening to us talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we really are hoping for. Well, Lydia, thank you very much. Uh, this has been, this was an interesting film. What I love most about this show, like you said, you know, nine years of reviewing shows or reviewing movies here. A lot of times, these are the movies that I would not naturally gravitate towards. Exactly. And so it yeah. is such a treat to get a chance to watch some of these movies that I would not watch otherwise and then end up enjoying them so much. Um, and then have an excellent conversation about them afterwards, which is yes, so much exactly. fun. <laughs> yes, that's, that is where all the fun truly lies. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this month. Lydia, thank you again. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I hope we get to do it for another nine years. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, I'll just say thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll talk to you in a month. Bye, everybody. Bye.